subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again for another episode. And actually, it's a little weird because we're not recording this as we normally would, but (laughs) this is the last episode before Minus One. Oh, damn. (laughs) <laughs> As when this episode goes live in two hours from it going live, I will be sitting in a theater in an IMAX theater getting ready to watch Gojira minus one. <laughs> and then like 24 hours after I see it, I think you're seeing it, right? Uh, give or take. Roughly. Yeah. So give or take. This is this what you're hearing right now is Rex and Elijah pre minus one. And this will be the last time you hear our voices before we see what we've been literally hyping up for since like late May. (laughs) Or no. It's also worth noting that this is the last episode to come out before Monarch Legacy of Monsters starts airing. This is true, which... I don't know if we've decided if we're going to do anything special for that, but... Probably not at the moment, but who knows what the future holds, I suppose. Right. I mean, <laughs> we, we literally did an episode on Five Nights at Freddy's and... and yeah. And all of our October viewings, and we had... We, like, decided to do it 24 hours before we actually did it, so... Yeah, we're kind of mental. Yeah. But if you are interested... There will be a video on the YouTube channel of Rex, mm. who attended a well, premiere. There, if this, if this is by the time this is coming out, that would have already already come out. Right, <laughs> right. Which was what I was I'll saying. Just, uh, just a couple early thoughts on the very first episode of Monarch, because I had the privilege of actually getting to see it a week early. <laughs> Lucky. So I guess I that know. that leads it into my. Great. I guess that leads into my question then. How have you been? Oh, pretty good for the most part. It's been an interesting interesting week. A lot of rather interesting things have been happening in the personal lives, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm exhausted. <laughs> you you honestly, like you do sound exhausted. Like, I mean, I keep asking you and you're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. But like I don't you, even know why I'm exhausted today. I, I, oh wait, it's the heat. Is it hot? <laughs> is it hot where you're yes, at? Yes, I have been dying for the past like 24 hours today. See, and yesterday. Let's just switch because it's too cold for me. Yeah, please. You know what? If you want this heat, you can keep it. I'll take it. Good. Great. You and I seem to prefer the opposite climates to what we have. So you know, I I feel like. We should just swap. I think it'd be healthy for us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it's official. I'm going to move to Australia. You're going to move to the United States, and uh, 
Yeah, you got you get to go to Florida without the guns or the the stupidity alligators. Oh, I don't know if I'd say without that. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if the word without is a, is a good choice of words there. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I guess you know, like I just said, I'm I'm pretty cold, all things considered. So God, I wish it was cold. I'm cold, and I'm working more hours than ever. I've I've this week I've worked. I'm going to end up working about sixty hours. Absolutely deranged. In all fairness, I do have to fund like a weekend trip on this one paycheck and pay for car repairs, and pay for some other side purchases. Absolutely deranged. So it's been kind of cray-cray. It's been kind of cray-cray. But uh, with that being said, I, you know, I I am, I'm doing decent. I mean, I spent my, my one day off this week. Well, I say that, but I had to go in and work for an hour and a half anyway. So either way, I still work today. But I spent the rest of my day just cleaning. I've been busy. It's either I'm I'm working on <clears throat> cleaning, actual work, podcasting, or working on videos. So I've just been busy as per normal. And uh, it's going to be this way until like the second week of December where it'll just be I'm recording podcasts and I'm I'm working. Because you've been working so much, have I... I wonder if you've had any time for Tokusatsu this week. So, actually, I I have, but oh, but it was a fifteen-minute short film. Oh, <laughs> so does it really count? Uh, that's a great question. Well, I'll tell you what it was anyway. It was called Edo of the Dead. And it is a YouTube short film from a Japanese director of, guess what? Zombies, Zombies? in Edo period Japan. No way. And a ninja fights them. And there's a love plot, and it all happens in 15 minutes. And it was, I mean, it was okay. It was fine. Like, it's 15 minutes. What do you expect? <laughs> It had great cinematography, and they used their dolly track as much as humanly possible. <laughs> that's where all of their budget went. Well, that's fun, at least. But uh, outside of that, you know, I'm 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 boring. I won't be honestly. I w- I guarantee you right now, I do not watch more than like four movies within now and our next recording after minus one. Hmm. Like, I, I'm not going to have time. I'm going to try and watch 54 and GMK before minus one. And then I'm going to see minus one. I'm going to try to fit in a movie. I was going to watch one called Jun Rei, uh, The Uncanny. But I just, I, I started it. And like, I got like three minutes in. I was like, mm, I'm not feeling it. And I just, oh, yeah. I, I, I just shut it off. I was like, I just, I'm not. I had Japanese to learn. I was I had you to call. I had dinner to eat. I just I didn't it just didn't work out. <laughs> but how have you watched any tokusatsu? Uh, <laughs> not 
Not very much. Um, More than my 15-minute short film? I've watched, uh, I guess, a little more since I want to say I watched rewatched one or two more episodes of Garo. Plus, I did, as I mentioned previously, even, even though it's not really Tokusatsu, I did go see the, the first episode of Monarch. So, <laughs> yeah, that's so- a little more. I want the listeners to go watch your initial thoughts, but if you had to describe your thoughts in one sentence, what would you say? Uh, what would I say? Um, it's the tone. Think 2014, but Godzilla 2014, but actually good. Okay. And interesting characters. And if you want to hear his full thoughts, definitely check out that video. It's a it's a fun little like vlog, right? I, I mean, there isn't a huge amount of thoughts in it. It's short. It's really short, so you know. But it's not gonna. It's longer than that, at least. Sure, but that's like bare minimum. <laughs> this is true. One sentence is bare minimum. I'd say. This is true. But no, I'm. We'll be watching monarch here pretty soon and i'm kind of excited to see what uh what it what comes i'm very interested in seeing the next episode and where they go with uh certain things (laughs) that i won't spoil thank you because i i'd like to go into monarch with about as much knowledge as i already have Hmm. There's, there's some there's some interesting things in the first episode i'll say but with that, I guess we can segue here into, I mean, Jesus, this is kind of a quick opening. I, <laughs> we're both so busy, we're just kind of like, yeah, we're here. Hey, the, hey, the editor in me has no problem with that. I'm sure, I'm sure. But I My guess... hard drive doesn't either. I guess this is where we can segue into the main topic of this week, which is about... The 1967 film. King Kong Escapes. No, 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 no. That's the wrong Toho film. That's the wrong one. That's from the A-team of Honda, Tsuburaya, and it's got Takarada in it. And Ifukube. Him too. You see, this film has Mr. Jun Fukuda returning as director. Hey, we covered a Jun Fukuda film last week. Yeah, yeah, we did. Masaru Sato. Hey, composer. He, we covered and, a film with him last week, too. And Sadamasa Arikawa as hey, the special effects director. He did the effects for the last film we talked about. Yeah. Are we Except just covering exactly Ebra Horror of the Deep again? Director, but it, no, we're covering its sequel, 1967 Son of Godzilla. Also known as Kaijuto no Kesen Gojida no Musuko. The Battle of Monster Island, Son of Godzilla? Yes. Whoa, okay. You know, now that you say that, I think I did see it. Good, because we scheduled this. Oh, perfect. It was released December 16th of 1967. And it eventually came over, dubbed by Titan Sound, which also did most of the Showa Godzilla films, and released by Walter Reed in 1969 to American television. 
And then it also saw a second theatrical release in Japan in 1973. As part of the Champion Festival. <laughs> yes, sir. So where do we start with this one? Do we do we kind of pick up where Eberhor the Deep left off? Do we talk about... Sure. I mean, you know, last time we kind of brought up how Japan was going through a bit of the monster boom. Yeah, this the year that this film came out, 1967, was probably the biggest year for that, for that first major monster boom. Right. Given that in that year, all four of the major, like, Japanese film studios released at least one kaiju film. You know, Daiei had Gamera vs. Gauss, Shochiku, the X from Outer Space, the Katsu Gappa, and then Toho did, as mentioned, as we just mentioned, King Kong Escapes and Son of Godzilla. Meanwhile, Ultra 7 was also airing on television from by Subaraya Productions. And Ultraman had just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was, there was a fair bit of giant monsters at this point in time. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, the Godzilla series was starting to have a lot of competition, especially, especially with the Gamera series becoming more and more popular with children, which is something that, uh, some of the people at Toho, such as producer Tomi- Tomiyuki Tanaka, sort of noticed. And so this is where an idea sort of came about. To appeal to children, maybe we could have, maybe we could give Godzilla a kid. <laughs> well, I heard that that was kind of out of desperation. Like they, so yeah. by yeah. this, because by this point. Although letter, apparently it had been considered like around three years prior as well, I think. I I want to From say it was back in the 50s, there was an idea tossed, if I remember right. Are you sure you're not thinking of Bride of Godzilla? <laughs> well, like, there was an idea of Godzilla having an heir because, so, I guess we'll we'll jump on this and I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit. It's very common to find in monster franchises that the monster ends up having a... Sort offspring. of offspring, yes. Um, yeah, especially at this time when you had like um, films like Son of Dracula, I believe. Dracula's Daughter. Oh, Dracula's Daughter. Which was the oh. sequel to Dracula. You had the sequel to King Kong, which was Son of Isn't Kong. Isn't there no Son of Dracula? There is no Son of Dracula. Am I going crazy? Am yes. Going Are you sure? Actually, apparently there was. I told you. But there, but that was like long after, long, long after, uh, you had the actual sequel to, to Dracula, which was Dracula's daughter. I mean, hey, it still came before, before Son of Godzilla. So, and so, I mean, it was a little. It's it was kind of a little weird that Godzilla had yet to have that. But like you said, there there was some ideas for that plenty of years prior. Um. Tanaka suggested that the reason they did Son of Godzilla was because they were out of ideas. Because, I mean, at this point, since 1962, they had developed a Godzilla movie every year, all penned by Shinji Sekizawa, all produced by Tomiyuki Tanaka, majority of them directed by Ashiro Honda, majority of them effects directed by Eiji Tsuburaya, majority of them 
music by Akira Ifukube, most of them with the same cast. Right. Up until 1966, right? Yeah, speaking of speaking of Sekizawa, he was at, he was tapped uh for this film once again, but he actually brought on I want to say his protege to See, original I, to sort of start. Um I read the Tanaka approached his collaborator because it wasn't his protege as much as it was his collaborator who had helped him on some lyrics for other films. Okay. Uh, actually, that that might actually be more right. I, I think that might actually be more accurate. Yeah, I think that's more accurate. Yeah, because uh, the name you're that we're talking about, uh, the person we're talking about, Kazue Shiba. Yeah, Shiba Chiba. I think some sources translate her name as. She uh, so she wrote a treatment called Two Godzilla's Tokyo SOS." Japan SOS. I read translations saying Tokyo SOS. Pretty sure John LeMay's book refers to it as Japan SOS. But regardless, Two Godzilla's Japan SOS was actually a pretty... It was quite used as a springboard for Sekizawa's uh, eventual script that would become what the final film is. But Two Godzilla's Japan SOS was rather different from how we now know the film with it being a bit more a bit less uh child friendly less comical a bit darker in tone um you know with godzilla jr and godzilla himself being more or less the big threats of the script <laughs> right which i mean i don't see i i know that that's what the LeMay book says that it was kind of used as like the jumping off point because Sekizawa kind of had run, run dry with ideas. But I think part of it, I mean, I, I think he also brings this up in there. The script, which I don't know, did you want to dive into that or did you want to like hold off on diving into two Godzilla's? Uh, we can dive into it a little bit. I'd say. Okay. So the idea was Godzilla would be with, Godzilla Jr., as it was named in the script. And they would be on an island, and there would be a volcanic... Godzilla Island. Godzilla Island, <laughs> right. And there would be a volcanic eruption, which, like, in, encapsulated both of them. And then they would show up in Tokyo and then destroy some parts of Tokyo. And then, like, this tsunami would come and wipe them out. But when you hear the script... None of that would would make sense in, in the context of – and this kind of goes back to what I was going to bring up a little earlier um, that we brought up. Son of Godzilla was made on a desperate, like, we need to put out a Godzilla film this year. And it was uh, clearly meant to be for children, but they had already used their A-team, like you mentioned, for God, uh, King Kong Escapes. And – so they brought the team like as soon as Ebra like as soon as Ebra was ready to go they put Fukuda on Son of Godzilla and so they wanted the B team to produce a cheap 
quick Godzilla movie, and the film's runtime is only isn't it like 67 87 87 okay yeah 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 87 minutes which is pretty short isn't that that's like a little shorter than ebra it's um, about the same runtime actually is it i could have swore ebra was like 80 let's see ebra's 87 okay it's yeah, 86 it's so it's it's yeah but even then that ebra was short and you know i mean they're not cutting a lot but they they're still making a a little shorter of a film, but either way, like they're both short. Um, all things considered, right? And they were supposed to like make it for a quarter of the budget, maybe not a quarter, but like half the budget of the Honda films. Mm-hmm. And the story that Sheba produced was way. I mean, that's 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 why Tanaka. Passed the two Godzilla script to Sekizawa. He refined and transformed it, changing the tone, limiting the setting, and and increasing the monster roster. Right. I mean, there are elements in that script that do transfer over to the final film. Right. The psycho. Mm -hmm. um, And her father, who was an actual living character in the script, Right, and then the whole idea of controlling the weather was in there as well. Yeah. I guess the adult Godzilla carried over, and then the idea was on an island, of course. And then, of course, having a son of Godzilla. Right. <laughs> now, in, in the two Godzilla script, it appeared to be more of like a teenage... I mean, when I hear Godzilla Jr., obviously, I automatically yeah, think, of think of Heisei. <laughs> Um, right, but the way they yeah, kind of—I mean, he was even supposed to be—I want to say thirty meters tall. Yeah, I think it was su- supposed to be more of like a teenage or like an adolescent Godzilla, not so much like a newborn child. Yeah, I mean, there's no hatching scene in the script, so right, because both Godzilla and Godzilla Junior would just show up on the island and become the problem. Yeah, which. Honestly, I kind of, I'll just say this. I wish we got the two Godzilla story more than what we got because the two Godzilla story, I think, has a little bit better writing in terms of the human side of of the issues, um, which we'll talk about once we dive into the film itself, of course. Mm -hmm. But. I f- honestly, this is one of those examples of I think what we got ended up being a little, little lacking. All things considered, mm. eventually, um, eventually in 1967, you know, Sekizawa would submit the final script, and production for the film would occur. We're filming starting around July of 67, taking, mm-hmm. with a lot of the filming taking place overseas. Um, in places like Guam and also various like other sort of islands in Japan, like or regional areas in Japan, like Lake Yamana, Gotemba, Oshima, and Fuji Five Lakes region as well. Right, which this was the first Godzilla film to actually be shot overseas, um, from what I could, from what my research said. Um, Not counting American edited stuff. <laughs> right, right. But like produce, like original produced like content, like this was the first. And that was because it was a partnership with Pan American Airlines 
and so they got it like a like they got some discounts or credits for you know flying the actors out to Guam and filming. However, uh, the the headlining actor, not the main character, but like the headlining actor that seems to have oh, yeah. um, most of the spotlight, uh, Tato Takashima, refused to go. So they had to get a stunt actor, a stunt double, to play him in those scenes. And then when they flew back to Japan, all the other actors like were were not happy with him, and he would shoot on the soundstage. And he his excuse was he couldn't act as good overseas as he could in Japan. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Probably just so he could get another job while waiting for them to film. Truth be told, I feel like that that sounds like a very reasonable Honestly, I just, excuse. I, I just heard that he disliked flying. <laughs> Maybe. So, like, in scenes where you don't see his face, or maybe I, I was wondering if some of the scenes where he's wearing glasses, like sunglasses, um, it's not actually him under under that. It's it's the double, and he, you know, when when he's on on the camera, like in on the screen, that's obviously him on the soundstage or like on location in Japan. Yeah. Now. I will say it is kind of interesting to note that I mean even with the low the like the budgets decreasing on these films they were you know starting to do things like going and filming in other countries and whatnot. I do think that's very interesting along with like Toho you know this was this is the year of kaiju like when you when you think about it and put it into context Son of Godzilla is in the year of Kaiju because of like what you said, the aforementioned four of the major five uh, Japanese studios released a Kaiju film in Japan. If you want to count it, there was also Yongari monster from the deep, which was a Toei semi co-produced in air quotes film, but that never saw Japanese theaters that only got overseas releases but you also had stuff like uh, Red Shadow, which was a television series Toei produced that had uh, Kaiju appear in it that was airing at the time. And uh, there was also a compilation film, Ninja Scope, the magical world of ninjas that had been created uh, for some international markets that featured one of the Kaiju uh, episodes in it. So even then, there was still kind of a little bit of Toei uh rep but but not nearly as much as the other uh studios but even then like this was this was kind of the grand finale to that year um in in that sense with the with the scope of where they were filming that that definitely is takes precedence and is very clear right and i mean even with like uh you know the decreased decreased budget. You still actually do have A.G. Suburaya involved in the film, um, even though he was, you know, his main project at the time was King Kong Escapes, and uh, and then also he'd be working up Suburaya Productions, his own company. But he was still quote actively involved and quote on this film as 
you know, a special effects supervisor for his protege, uh, Mr. Arikawa. Right. But even then there's some, them, there is some like questions about that because the final film is missing a lot of effects footage. Um, which was not something Subaraya did. Um, there was a lot of cut stuff of Godzilla interacting with Manila, being a little more abusive and whatnot. <laughs> is there is there any way I can get that footage? <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit. There's some footage in the Japanese trailer, and I think that that shot of Godzilla leaving Manila in the snow is available. Yeah, yeah um, I know there's like a a work print of like the outtake for the end for like the longer version of the ending. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like, there's also a clip of like the original version of Manila's beam effect as well. Instead of like before Subaraya suggested the smoke rings, Arikawa kind of had something that was for Manila's beam that was more, akin to just Godzilla's regular beam, but, um, you know, just a weak, uh, a much weaker version of that. Mm -hmm. That couldn't really go very far. But see, it's a little weird because, I mean, the way Subaraya worked, he wouldn't film more than what he would have to. Mm -hmm. he, he was very much like, you get what I have. Like, I'm not going to give you more. I'm not going to give you less. You're going to get what I have. Um, I mean, on a few rare occurrences, Subaraya would, like, do a few extra uh, effect shots and whatnot. Um, Pre-Son of Godzilla, the only one that I think is even remotely notable is the unused version of Ghidorah's Awakening from Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, which I've never seen, admittedly, but I'd love to. <laughs> um, Wait, you've, you've never seen the alternate take of that? I've never seen the alternate take are you sure? That's why we talked about it once. I've just I'm been told that it's it. arguably superior than the one we got. It, it's that, and that's because it doesn't have the jump cut. <laughs> You've never seen that. I have never seen. No. Are you sure? I swear have to you, God. Have you watched? Have you watched like the the Toho unused special effects documentary on the Criterion set? Not yet. No. What? Why not? Go watch I, that. It's on there. Hmm. That's where it. That's that's the source of that clip. It's on there. <laughs> Go watch that. Well, maybe I should do that soon. Yeah, right. Let's do it. But not now. I mean, I can't. I'm not even able to. <laughs> I don't know. From what from what I've heard, he was actively quite actively involved, and there are a fair lot of like production and post-production photos of him with on like the set of the film like even at manila's naming ceremony there's a photo of him with uh arikawa right um, otherwise there isn't a huge there isn't really a huge amount of documentation that i'm at least in english of like his specific involvement outside of a couple anecdotes really Right. And honestly, I would say even further, this movie definitely does not feel like a Subaraya film when it comes to the effects, which I mean, no. I I think it's kind of a fresh, nice uh, coat of paint over what we had previously seen as well. Right. I mean, there's also just the fact that 
you know, this film does not have the budget to be as grand as what, you know, Subaraya would typically do back, you know, in, in like 64 or 65. Right. But yeah, that's, there's, there's a little bit more to talk about with the effects, but we should uh, probably, I, I feel like we should transition, at least start transitioning to the film itself first. All right. Okay. So what, uh, what, so do you want to start us off in the film? Sure. I mean, the film opens after, after our Toho logos, we get a cold open of sorts with, um, some, uh, reconnaissance people in like an airplane going overseas, over the seas. And they, you know, there's mysterious radio interference. And then suddenly from the ocean, Godzilla <laughs> rises out and he looks awful. Now, real quick, I do want to say, so the plane is a weather plane. They're checking weather. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And one of the one of the pilots just so happens to be the actor <laughs> for for Shin Hayata of yes. Ultraman fame. Susumu Kurobe. Which I mean, he played a lot of like side characters that appeared for like five minutes in, in the Toho films uh, very yeah. frequently. Yeah. All the way up till the Heisei era, even in the Godzilla series. But no, the and and you know, you bring up the 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 Godzilla appearance here, and it is the nineteen sixty six suit. Yeah, it, yeah, it's somehow looking even worse. Well, I mean, <laughs> a year had passed since they used it, and they're using it for water True. scenes, so. It's just the great combination. Yeah, that's a bad combination. This, you know, a lot of people complain about the main suit of this film, but uh, I would argue this is the far worse looking suit. (laughs) Right. And after, after the, I mean, before this film even was shot, they had to pull that head off too. So this was after the, the Giros. Yeah. This was after like the head modification and all that. So this, I mean, this suit had already been used in 65, and then they reused it in 66. Then they took it, took the head off, used the head for an episode of Ultraman, put the head back on, and was reusing it for water sequences for this film. So, I mean, this this suit had, I mean, honestly, this is probably the the, the most, like a suit from this time had to put up with in terms of just <laughs> what it had to go through. Cause I mean, right. it was, wasn't it used for the water shots in Astro monster as well? Is there, a- are there any water shots in Astro monster? Actually, I don't outside think of, outside of like the, the puppet. <laughs> I don't think there is now. That I th- now that I say that. So yeah. I mean, it was used it for was the Astro, main Monster. Suit Astro Monster, right? And then wasn't it used? It was used for the water shots in in Sea Monster. Yeah, um, it was used for the entirety of Sea Monster because it was recycled. And then, yeah, so I mean, just replaced the head in the last ten minutes of the film because so, of Jiras. No matter what, this suit. I mean, oh, it, and they also t- they also removed the padding as well. <laughs> That's right, they did. 
which is probably why it loses its form near the end of Ebra after all the water shooting. <laughs> and I mean, even here, it's it's mucking up the look. Oh yeah, yeah, especially especially when it reappears a little later into the film, and he and he rises out of the water again. Right, it's, it does not look great. Which I, I guess we can kind of continue on with the plot here. I do have one question. I've never understood like the whole idea of radio waves being interfered by Godzilla. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense. I don't know. I'm willing to, I I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for that. I mean, it's not Godzilla himself that's doing it. It's Manila. Right. (laughs) But then again, same species. Maybe. We're not, it's never entirely established that they're the same species, because isn't there some reference material that suggests that Godzilla adopts Manila? Only in, only in the English language. Japanese, I mean, the film itself is like pretty quick to be like, that's Godzilla, that's a baby Godzilla. And like, you know, the DVD refers, the Japanese DVD just refers, and the theater pamphlet, sorry, just refer to it as a baby Godzilla. Gotcha. And I mean, Manila itself means little Godzilla. And I mean, hell, I mean, he wasn't even named when the film was pro- being produced. He was just being called like Godzilla Jr. or Kojira. Kojira. I, I, I'm presuming that the ko comes from the word, the kanji ko, for child. <laughs> So, child Godzilla. Gotcha, okay. So, yeah, it's pretty heavily suggested that it's a baby Godzilla, and, I mean, the characters even state that in the film. Right. But, yeah, Godzilla is, uh, because of the mysterious interference that is being caused by Manila, Godzilla is essentially being lured to an island, Solgale Island. This is where our credits roll and we get out a <laughs> nice little score from Masaru Sato. Right, which, I mean, one thing I will say that I really appreciate about the film, and it, it's really established here in, in the establishing shots of Sogale Island, the movie is very colorful. Like, oh, this yeah. is easily the most colorful Godzilla movie of the time period. I mean, it's it's also just it's it's a nice looking movie, I'd say as well. I don't think it ever reaches the heights of like some of the previous films, like Ibra. Even see, um, I... I feel like had I feel like Ibra had more had a couple moments that were just st- stunning. Like there's a handful of shots in that film that look absolutely stunning during the on location shooting, and I don't. I, I feel like Sonic Godzilla just kind of has the same consistent look throughout, which is not a bad thing. It just never reaches the heights. See, I would agree and disagree. I because I, I I agree that the on location of Ebira is definitely better than Son of Godzilla. Like that's that's the the on location stuff for Son of Godzilla, and I think a lot of it comes from there's not a lot of wide shots. There's not a lot of long shots not not a lot of like big shots of, yeah of... and i think the i think the most of those that do appear in the film are on the soundstage right 
Now, I love Toho's soundstage. You know, I, I established that last recording as well. But in Son of Godzilla, it's all reduced to medium and close-ups. It's not a lot of, here's a wide-angle shot of, of on-location filming. It was all very close-up, very, you know, claustrophobic. Maybe trying to make it a more personalized story. Right. But with that, I will say... With that being said, I think due to the fact that they're making it very close and when they do have those more wider shots, those larger shots, they use matte paintings. Um, Sogale Island does feel larger than Lechi Island. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I'd agree. Sogale Island feels more like an island. Yeah, because <laughs> the way the way Lechi Island feels, it's like, OK, so there's the 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 dock and then you go in a little bit in and you have the base and then like around the corner of the base is where the the infant islanders are. And there's a hill. And if you go up to the hill, like if you keep going that way, you get to the cliff on the other side of the island where Godzilla's at. And that's like, and then like around the hill, there's a little area that's rocks where Godzilla sleeps. And that's about it. Yeah. Like there, there's not a lot to Ebira's island layout. However, Sogale Island, there's a lot of different places and they all have unique looks to them, right? Like you have, you have the, the cave you have the base area you have various shots of like the coastline you have the area where the red water is you have monga valley mm -hmm. <laughs> and then all the different like iodide areas as well right and you know they they establish and then just the beach right and there's even like an establishment of like there's an ecosystem here, like there's animals and there's uh like there's there's right. there's plants yeah. you can eat, right? Like it's never established that the berries are on Lechi Island. So there's really not a lot to Right. I mean it is I mean you can kinda infer that the berries are probably for, could be from Lechi Island, to be fair. But you could also or, or infer... Infant Island. Right, right. And that's what I was about to say. It could be Infant Island. We don't know. They don't establish. So you, you're kind of left to infer either or, right? I mean, that's kind of the issue with Febra is that it doesn't... It kind of just doesn't establish a lot of things. <laughs> it doesn't give you much to go off with, like, the red bamboo and all that type deal. Right. So... I love I I think opening the film with all of these establishing shots does help because they they do establish. They clearly establish a very large location with some beautiful matte paintings with Sato's score that is very much a very cheerful and happy score. Oh yeah, I love it. I love the, the score for this film. I think I I I definitely like it more than the Ebra score. It's I, I just, I like Manila's theme. <laughs> and, you know, kind of going off of that, diving back into the plot here as, as the theme continues, 
as the establishing shots continue, we then get the base, right? Yeah. Which I also like this base a little bit more because something that I think Abra does is the red bamboo's base is in this clear area where there's no trees, there's no nothing. Like it looks like they've just terraformed this island. But here it looks like the base that we then cut to had to work around everything. Yeah, yeah, it's a really nice set. And one thing as well is that the inside of the base actually kind of looks lively, whereas the base in Ebera, the a lot of the interiors of that base are, feel very empty or mm-hmm. lacking in detail. Especially for some of the corridors, with there really only being like one room, which is like the it's it's the main room with all the pipes and all that. That's like the only real room that actually kind of looks like it has it, it's is is all right. That's kind of the best room in the film, but every everyone else feels like it's feels like there needs to be more or should be more. Right, right. No, I I agree with that. And it is nice. And I think a lot of that just simply comes from the fact that this film is more colorful. Um, And maybe they had a little less of a... I mean, because they had the budget to make a miniature set for Ebira that was kind of, you know, they they had a whole... It wasn't reduced to, like, close-ups. But for Son of Godzilla, they had to do close-ups. I don't know if they spent all their budget on making the the island miniature sets and they couldn't do like the base miniature set as much but because mm, they I, I think there's only like I want to say there's only really miniature shots of like the iodide things like those iodide stations cuz I know Godzilla walks past a few of them maybe one of them gets crushed maybe well Godzilla does destroy the base here in a like 10 minutes into the film. I mean, it's not really Godzilla that destroys the base. It's, uh, the, the storm. No, because the, the storm, storm on, like they, they take refuge in the base and then Godzilla comes and he's the one that really messes up the base where they're, everything's broken. Oh yeah, you're right. Actually. Yeah, you're right. I blanked that. <laughs> But I mean, going good, speaking of speaking of the story, going back into you know, we're not then introduced to our main supporting characters. This film does something kind of weird, where the quote unquote main character is introduced after almost everybody else, mm-hmm. and we, I mean, we we kind of follow the scientists for a vast majority of the film besides the side quests of our main character and, and the lead supporting character, but we get, we get established on kind of what they're doing. They're talking about an experiment. We don't know what exactly yet. And we get an establishment that like the, the, the leader of this is very much determined on doing this. Yeah, Professor Kasumi, whom is played by Tadao Takashima. And meanwhile, we're also introduced to the, you know, them doing their 
checkups on the the towers to ensure everything's running. It, essentially, we're we're kind of introduced to kind of this interesting story on these scientists who have volunteered to do scientific work on this island. And we get to see kind of their day to day, which is kind of cool. You know, they're checking towers, ensuring everything's working. And we get little hints and set up to some things that'll pay off later, like with uh, one of the scientists played by Yoshio Shia, Furukawa, be seemingly be a bit on edge, which we find out a bit later that because that everyone on the island has been here, currently on the island, has been here for over a month and are starting to go a little uh, crazy, particularly Suchia's character. Right. Which, I mean, in all fairness, I feel like that's something Suchia does just does. <laughs> like, most of his characters just are grumpy. I mean, he's usually playing aliens like half the time, so, you know. This is true. <laughs> but correct me if I'm wrong, but after we're kind of given the establishment of our our supporting characters and what they're doing as they're prepping for their experiment they hear the buzzing of a plane yeah they go to investigate and a whole and a guy just parachutes down this is Goromaki our, our film's protagonist who's just a reporter looking for a scoop and whom somehow learnt about this top secret experiment right because professor kasumi is and the others are engaging in because even kasumi says the only people that know we're here is like the directors of the un yeah and so how goran maki found out who knows they never ask him (laughs) he just says he had a gut feeling and he went yeah something like that so yeah, no. The, but it, he has some. He clearly has some idea about the experiment as well, because he kind of tries prying about it. Like, why is this top secret and all that? Right. <laughs> it just—I don't know. The, and this is the beginning of the declining story of the human characters because. I feel like this film does not establish its characters and the problems its characters are doing well at all. Mm. But we'll we'll talk about that as we continue here. So Goromaki refuses to leave until he gets his story. And they don't give him a story. Yeah, but hours Professor go by. Kasumi is very adamant on that. Right. And as hours go by, eventually they go and they break and they say, why don't you just help us by being our handyman and our cook and doing all of that? And he agrees to do it. And then his reporter part of him basically is irrelevant for the rest of the story. I mean, he still tries to pry for information here and there for at least the next like ten ish minutes. For the yeah, for the next ten minutes, he asks questions, but then he doesn't, and he just becomes another one of the guys. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also during uh, the sequence where they, you know, where 
he beco- essentially first becomes a member of their team that there's also a a noise mm-hmm. a a giant mantis is in the area and this yeah this is essentially where we're established that this this island is filled with these or at least has some of these giant mantis creatures and that it's dangerous to be out in the jungle alone right and i i love the lighting like the way they they it's it's funny because the human-sized kamakaris is very well shot because it's it's kind of shot kind of like in a horror tone oh, like yeah. the the only thing you see are are its big eyes and you hear it and you can hear it like moving in the in the trees Right, you only get small glimpses of it. <laughs> Which is genius. I love that. And there's some really great shots that are like, and they're all close-ups. They're all, you know, up-close shots that are really good with our kaiju in this film. And I just, I love the fact that even before anything happens, the Kamakris is already abnormally large. Yeah. And I would love to see, like, maybe them, you know, in a, in a future film, maybe bring the Kamakris back and kind of have, like, the small ones and the big ones. I Like, that's such a cool concept. Mm. <laughs> it's something that I feel like, like, Megagirus kind of tackled. And yeah. Battle Line, Godzilla Battle Line kind of does that with the Kamakras horde. Right, where you have, yeah, the horde, and then you also just have the the big Kamakras as well, single unit one. <laughs> but that stuff's kind of cool. I like that stuff. Yeah. No, and I think the Kamakras in this movie are pretty neat. You know, the, the, I mean, the new, the new kaiju introduced in this movie... Kamakuras and later Kumonga, a giant spider. They're not the most creative designs, same with Ibera, but like they look good. They're portrayed really well <laughs> in the film. Um, the Kamakuras was actually designed by Nobuyuki Yasumaru, who would go on to des- to you know, create the Gorosaurus suit as well as even like the, I believe the Godzilla 84 suit as well, if I remember right. Interesting. Pretty sure. I'm I'm pretty sure he was the one who did that. But yeah, no, they had a bunch of different props for the Kamakras. I believe they had about nine in total. Three for like, they had like three for like a small, Three small models, three medium-sized models, and three large models. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's another interesting uh, interesting thing here is in this film, there's only two suited kaiju, and that's Godzilla and his son. Right. The antagonist mm-hmm. monsters are puppets. <laughs> right, which is very interesting. And there was a lot of problems with that because of the fact they were puppets. Um. I think they said the Kamanga puppet ended up having more puppeteers than Ghidorah did. Oh yeah, the Kamanga pu- uh, puppet uh, it had about like twenty. Because, because like the thing is, so there were like six different Kamanga p- puppets. Mm-hmm. The biggest one 
was about five meters long and it would have multiple joints on each of its legs. So, you know, a spider has eight legs, so does Kamonga. For one, to control one leg, you needed at least two to three technicians. I want to say they said there was like 30 altogether. It was, quote, often had more than 20 puppeteers working the wires from a platform mounted over over top the stage. And when you think about that, like the fact that Kamonga moves like he does is remarkable. It is really impressive. And there was quite literally a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into the puppetry in this film. <laughs> so much so that it's, during filming, there were a lot of times where just shots were kind of ruined by the the puppeteers just sweating on this, onto the set. <laughs> <laughs> Going back here to the, the plot, at least, a couple days, you know, go by, and we start to see the integration of Goromaki with the scientists. But even before that, while uh, Maki is... Is he with Dr. Kasumi when he's out patrolling with the towers? Oh, I mean, he... You know, there's a bit of banter with him, like... He he goes looking for um, some vegetables for, you know, to cook, to prepare for... Oh, that's meals. right. That's right. Yeah, and ends up and ends up uh, spotting a woman, just some random woman on the island um, in the water. Right. Eventually, he discusses this with the group, but they just don't believe him. What the hell would a random woman be doing on this island? We surveyed countless times. Right. That's right. Because yeah, and then fo- and then following that is when they do their first. Uh, attempt at the experiment but before they even do that he maki does ask you know a couple questions kind of doing the the whole uh reporter thing and what i love is we learn about the experiment with him like we start the story without him and we get some establishments kind of the basic premises and then once he appears everything we learn with him Mm-hmm. he becomes the audience in a way of like now we're following what he gets to see what he's having to go through because i mean he is our main character despite the fact that this film feels more like an ensemble than like there's a lead mm-hmm. um but i do like that i like learning about everything as goromaki does and the experiment is learning how to control the weather which sounds cool, but would have awful, very awful implications. And they, which they sort of, they they sort of address it in sort of like a hand wave line with them establishing that the experiment is secret to prevent, you know, such such a device. Um, falling into the wrong hands. And we kind of see why following this, because we then go to, after we, you know, learn about this stuff with Goromaki, we jump to the scientists and Maki setting up and getting ready for their first experiment. Right. Which then Goromaki goes to try and warn the girl and, 
you know, as they're getting everything going and setting it up, suddenly the radio wave interference comes back, which which leads to problems with the experiment that causes the balloon that has the materials to change the weather explode. Yeah, causing a bunch of radiation and heat to be expelled. Right, all, which all over the island, which creates radioactive storms that includes flooding and, and intense heat, like you said. Now, if they're radioactive storms, how are they able to go? Because I mean, it, after the a few shots of the storms, we cut to the guys getting out of the base four days later. Right? How does that work? If it, it was radio. Does. If it was radioactive, then they can't do that. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Right. I mean, I mean, you could almost argue that like, maybe, maybe there's not enough radiation to actually like harm them. If it weren't for the fact that the mantises, you know, the Camacras, we in a, a little bit following this scene, we discover that the Camacaris have grown to rather gigantic sizes. Right. And like all the plants got killed. It just doesn't make sense. I don't This is the beginning of the downfall of this plot because the weather control equipment doesn't hold its weight and also doesn't make sense. And I blame that on the lack of exploring it in the script and establishing the implications that it has outside of the throwaway throwaway lines that we hear. Yeah, see, I don't even I don't have a major issue with like like some of what you're taking issue with, but just the one thing that really feels off of me is the lack of any exploration of like the implications bar that one hand wave line especially like with like Godzilla 54 being in recent memory for me after a recent rewatch with like the whole Sarazawa character in that film um and like his whole um thing about destroying his research to prevent anyone from getting anyone else from getting access to his technology until he the oxygen destroy it until he can you know find a a actual beneficial use to a peaceful use for it to humanity um i mean i guess this has a peaceful use but you know it's still it just feels off to just hand wave all the implications right of, of such a device And I'm going to dive into that a little later when we get to the end. But one of the things it does do is, as as we've mentioned, it it makes the Kamakaris the Kamakari. Is that the 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 multiple version of Kamakaris? Kamakari. I mean, I mean, in Japanese, just saying the word is both the typically the single and the plural version, unless you're like. Kamakaris Tachi. <laughs> so the Kamakaris have grown to epic proportions. And as basically within two minutes of our characters leaving the base, they see this. Yeah. Um, 
And as they follow to where the Camacris is going, they're going to this mound of dirt. Which is also where the interference is sourced from. And as they watch, they're destroying the mound and reveal an egg. Eventually, this egg hatches and the son of Godzilla emerges. Which, to me, the way I understood it is the egg hatched. I mean, the egg didn't hatch. It was broken open, right? Because the Kamakras were were bashing away at it. So I've always viewed it as Manila was kind of premature. That's why he looks the way he does, especially when he's like freshly hatched. (laughs) Is like, because I mean, when you think about it, that does line up like. Manila was not supposed to hatch yet. I mean, Clearly, he's at a developmental stage where he's pretty close, I feel like. Maybe, maybe. Especially given he is calling. (laughs) True. But following his premature hatching, he just starts getting, like, mutilated by the three characters. Oh, yeah. They, nah, it's survival of the fittest with them. Absolutely survival of the fittest. And... They kind of just let this happen for a while. Yeah. Which also doesn't make a lot of sense. Because after, so after we get the establishment of the Kamakras are basically beating Manila to death and then are going to eat him, which is the implications. Then we cut to the human drama where we find out that the girl has been stealing, was stealing Goromaki's shirt they discover her. Right. Furukawa, who is already on, clearly the most on edge, is just going mad and wants to leave the island. And he runs off to the beach where two other characters, which are, I believe, isn't it? Fujisaki? Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, I should also mention that they had a meeting earlier and Fu- where F- Fujisaki claimed that the radio was uh, unusable because it was destroyed by heat. I'm pretty sure that... But actually, Fuji... But then Fujisaki later says that he actually just destroyed it himself. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that part did, like, make me really confused. Like, that... And it's portrayed as a good thing? A good thing? Yeah. Which is really abnormal. Yeah. See, that's something, too, is, like, this whole movie, like, the scientists are doing something bad. Like, they're creating a device to control the weather, which could destroy climates, and they even say that they fully intend on using it, like, in the Sahara Desert, in the Arctic, to, like, grow more food. Right. And then we find out that Akihito Hirata's character lies about destroying the radio, and then it's dis- then he destroys it, and it's like, wait a minute, like, what are we doing? <laughs> the 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 leader of this is so determined that he's pushing his men to go crazy, but he's still viewed as a noble hero. It's kind of off-putting. It's like, why are we doing this? Like, why? Yeah, it's rather odd. 
all of our characters here are not good characters. It's like watching Matango, but wanting everybody to be the hero. I mean, I'd say Akira is at least, he's at least a decent human being in this film. I would I would agree with that. Akira Kubo in this film is is clear, and that's why you can tell he's clearly the hero because he's the only one that doesn't do anything that's morally gray. Right. <laughs> like he's just trying to find information. Right. I mean, Kenji Sahara is also just there, but I mean, he's a part of the scientists. Right, but he does nothing wrong. <laughs> right, but. You know, I, the scientists are still, like, doing something kind of awful. Eh, true. Like, but, alas... Oh, continue. I, I was just going to say, like, I, I, I don't think there's a way you can argue that any of the scientists are heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, alas, Furukawa ends up running to the beach, desperate to leave. He's just going to swim by hand. Um, Fujisaki tries to stop him, but both stop in their tracks and retreat once they see Godzilla rising from the ocean. Which, don't we cut from the 66 suit here to the 67 suit as he rises and then as he's walking on land? Yeah, yeah. Because the scene starts off, you know, the water shots and Godzilla coming onto land are that 66 suit and are portrayed by the original suit actor, uh, Haruo Nakajima. And these are the, this and the opening are the only two scenes that Nakajima filmed for. Right, because they had to build a larger suit to make Godzilla appear larger than Manila. So the film was supposed to have Seiji Okada? Onaka. Onaka. And And they did do filming with him. But then midway through the filming, during a baseball game, he broke his fingers. Right, because he was and, a baseball player. So, yeah, and so they got Hiroshi Sekida to fill in for the rest of the shooting. So I guess this is the most actors that played Godzilla in a movie? I guess. I guess. <laughs> Now, I will say, I I wonder if Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla did take any influence here, because this is the exact same way that Godzilla shows up and goes to save his child in that movie. Like, even some of the cinematography is very much the same. See, I don't remember Space Godzilla enough to comment. (laughs) Well, Godzilla (laughs) rises from the ocean. Our main heroes are, like, having a problem on the beach. Godzilla walks through the island. We see Godzilla walking through the island. Um, This is where he does, uh, if I remember correctly, doesn't he destroy the base while walking towards the Kamakuras? Yeah, yeah, he destroys a bit of the base. And then once he shows up, which... There's no way that Godzilla appears within five minutes of the Kamakris opening the egg. Like, there's no way. There's de- It's definitely been like an hour or so. And somehow the three Kamakris have not killed Manila yet, which I thought was yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of points where I, I feel like it would work if if we didn't have, like, in between Godzilla's arrival, like... 
there was an intercut with like a couple of the human scenes. It makes it feel like more time is passing than there actually should be. Right. And that's something that happens throughout the film is they, they are very, which I mean, I appreciate, but it also, like I said, it's a problem. They intercut the Kaiju stuff with the humans, right? Like it's, it's a Sekizawa script. Mm -hmm. They are trying to keep, Every like they're of course you're going for the kaiju, so you want to keep your audience invested. But you are you're cutting in between to the human characters to get the story moving along because the humans directly impact everything in this movie. They're the reason the Kamakras grow. The Kamakras then open, you know, unleash Manila, which is why Godzilla shows up. Goromaki. And I mean, Godzilla was already headed here, to be fair. True. But our human characters are partially the reason why Kumanga wakes up. But to be fair, more Manila. Yeah, but I mean, in all fairness, it's because uh, Sayako, that's her name, right? Yeah. Calls Manila to come to the rescue, which is then why Manila wakes up Kamanga and like everything that the kaiju do is directly because the humans have started it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a Sekizawa script and that's one of Sekizawa's big, like tropes you find, but because they jump back and forth, the film either loses all of its tension or messes with the time frame. Or just throws you like it gives you whiplash because you're going back and forth, back and forth. And it does that throughout the entirety of this film. Yeah, there is no sequence where you're following the human characters for 10 minutes. And then we cut to a two minute montage of of chaos and destruction. There is none of that because they are on an island. And they're trying to anthropomorphize Godzilla and Manila more so in this film than any previous one to have make you grow those feelings for Manila and for Godzilla for the final shot. Right. But as Godzilla approaches the Kamakras, he is very brutal with how he attacks them and how he kills them. <laughs> he goddamn body slams one of them. <laughs> and then the other gets roasted. Yeah. Which, Which they actually burnt two of the props uh, when Godzilla, like, roasts the Kamakuras. Poor Kamakuras. Yeah. Which we get a super, we, we get a composited shot of, of a piece of the Kamakuras flying at our human characters. And I'm just going to say this now. The compositing is not amazing here, but it's not, I mean, it's. It's not the worst. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> But after Godzilla dispatches two of the Kamakras and the other flees, he just leaves Manila. Yeah. Which, okay, I get, I don't know if it's supposed to be a joke, but it, it is definitely funny. But Godzilla literally swam to the island, fought two Kamakras, was planning on fighting a third, killed two, planned to kill a third, and then just leaves the, the just-hatched Manila alone again. <laughs> it's like what like I don't know if it was meant to be just as a funny gag but it doesn't make sense for Godzilla to just do all this 
Nah, he just he just expects his son to be able to walk. I'd say. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. It just I don't know. That's that's how I see it. I just he kind of expects Manila to just like now that Manila's safe, he can go on his own. But then he's like, uh, I guess I should come back and bring the kid. Give him a ride. I guess. I guess Godzilla's an example of what I would be like if I was a parent. So, what abusive? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Expecting them to know what they're doing without teaching them. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah, but it's I mean, also Godzilla's slightly less abusive in this version of the story because in the manga, I mean, from what I've skim read of the manga, he just straight up like punches manila in one scene right no there's there's a lot of, and like that's a lot of what the cut footage is is a lot of godzilla just being an abusive parent expecting manila really to know what to he's doing that. i really want to see that i'm kidding the I, son of I, godzilla I, abusive cut <laughs> but during all of this Goromaki somehow falls into the cavern that sayako was residing in plot convenience yeah. of course but Nonetheless, yeah, and after she has a little, uh, a little, uh, after she feeds Manila and Godzilla takes the kid, uh, she goes back to the cave and the two discover each other. And there's some back and forth, you know, uh, accusations about being a thief and whatnot, and right. some kind of death threats. Yeah. They suddenly I mean, she throws are, a knife at him. But then they suddenly are okay after a little bit. Yeah. The Akira Kubo charisma. <laughs> but real talk, Kubo like absolutely rises up Sayako throughout the entirety <laughs> of this movie. Yeah. Like you're just waiting for them to like kiss at this point. Like that that's I mean the film the film never like really draws attention to it, but like it's very clearly happening. Yeah. I mean by the end they're literally holding each other's hands, so like you know. No, there's there's definitely some some strong feelings going on. Yeah, it it's just it, I find it odd how there's just this romance that it's just never called attention to. It's just right. kind of a background thing, right? And they don't. I kind of like that. <laughs> I do. I like it too. But it's part of me wonders if it's because I'm pretty sure there was a little bit of lashback due to the Nick Adams and Mizuno romance <laughs> because of how it was you know how it was portrayed part of me wonders because of stuff like that they kind of backtracked from doing romance plots um but even then sekizawa like if you look back at Ghidorah the three-headed monster the oh there's definitely like in Ghidorah yeah there's there's a romance plot i mean the ending of Ghidorah um takes a lot of influence from the ending of like a whole nother romance film. Right. But it's also like, cause it's with Shindo and princess Salno and it's not, it's like this background thing that's never established and it just kind of rests in the story. And that's kind of how this one is too. It just kind of rests in the story. Yeah. Except this one, they get to show it off a little bit more because it's not a princess from another country and some cop. But after after their back and forth, uh, Goromaki introduces Saiko to the rest of the group. 
and they once again also end up fending off the last remaining Kamakaris. With rifles. I mean, I mean, the idea is more that it's being, to be fair, the idea is more that the Kamakaris is led away by the sounds of Manila. Right, right. Also, you, you kind of didn't, you glossed over this, but Sayako just suddenly is chill with everybody. And like when her and Goromaki first interact, she like accuses him of trying to steal this book that she has. And it's her father's diary. And then she just starts handing it out. Like. Yeah. They, they, Goromaki and her talk for like five minutes. It's love at first sight. And then it cuts to them. Goromaki introducing her to to everyone else. And then she just starts. Takao Takashima is just reading it. (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, oh, look at this. What's this this Kamanga thing? Why is it mentioned all all throughout this book? It's kind of concerning we might have a third act villain here it's just weird because i feel like they were setting her up to be more of this like character to push back against everybody else and really she just kind of goes along with everything there there really isn't a single moment where she says no yeah it it really yeah. feels like a plot like after, she like after her initial meeting with goro yeah you're pretty much right and I don't know if they just maybe they just cut all of the like back and like the the attempted like not working with them just to speed the plot along because I mean it definitely does that. But <laughs> part of me too just kind of feels like they use uh Sayako as kind of just like a plot device. Like she's the character to help get Goro Maki to do this stuff and be our main character doing all of the daring, exciting thrills. Because there's a small hint, a small spice of romance in this movie that barely gets addressed outside of the fact that they're always together. Yeah. And the the notebook that she has is her father's, who was studying on the island uh, during the war, never came back. And so she's been there her whole life and knows the island is, is what she set up. But that really doesn't do a whole lot. It only helps like twice in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an odd setup. (laughs) Like it establishes that she has a home and that you can swim out to the coast. From her home. And that's it. Yeah. Following this, we get a couple scenes of... uh, We get a couple nice scenes of Manila playing with Godzilla, or more specifically his tail. Which Manila's grown up quick because he suddenly looks way different. Yeah. I mean, I think the implication is that some amount of time has passed... Nothing's nothing's established. Like it goes from them talking about what is Kumunga and what who is Sayako to oh Manila's playing with Godzilla, and then they're living in the cave. Like right. I mean, to be to be fair, there is like a a um, fade transition that is that you know fades can are typically used to 
show the passage of some time. The issue is we just have no clue how much time. <laughs> right, because Past really time. and honestly, our characters don't change. And I think part of that just comes from the fact that, like, Goromaki and Sayako's relationship is doesn't change after Goromaki introduces her to everybody else. And everybody else's relationship with Sayako doesn't change once she's introduced to them. I mean, the only character to, like, actively change over the film is Furukawa. Just because he's going mad for the majority of the film. And then at the end, he's just okay. He's hunky dory. <laughs> After Manila's playtime with uh, Papa's tail, yes, we get a bit of the the two lovebirds uh, just running around the island exploring, and then have a little encounter with uh, little baby Godzilla. Which I mean, this is a cute moment. I will I will give it that. It's it's a cute moment. It has its fun moments. Um, right, and I think it's funny that Godzilla's just a strict dad that he such a strict dad that he doesn't let Manila, um, you know, play with the, the humans. Right? <laughs> no, Manila's temper tantrum is is very funny. Like that. That's probably oh, one yeah. of the funniest moments. A whole bit. <laughs> and then he just drags him by the tail. <laughs> I, it's, it's an iconic scene from this movie for a reason. Right. <laughs> No, there, there's. I love seeing the Godzilla Manila stuff because there's a lot of like just fun, like it's, heartwarming. It's just, yeah, it's just fun to watch, <laughs> and it's funny. This movie's mm-hmm. pretty funny throughout. And honestly, what's funny? What, what? I guess it's not funny, but what's interesting is at this point we're already over halfway through the film. Yeah. And yeah, it, we're, we're like at the 45 minute mark. Right. And it kind of baffled me. I was upon this rewatch. So for me, like this was one of the first Godzilla movies I had seen. And I always remember just like it took me like a lot to sit through the movie because it always felt like it dragged. Um, This was never one that I really liked. And I don't like I I didn't rewatch it a lot. Part of that was because it was difficult to get the Sony DVD. But either way, like nonetheless, rewatching it this time, I was kind of surprised how quickly the the movie moves. Oh yeah, this movie was a breeze to watch, even more than Ibra, honestly. Because mm-hmm. the thing with Ibra is, well, I think most of Ibra is a little bit more fun. That last like ten minutes of that It's a slog of Ebra just kinda it doesn't kill the movie for me, but it does it 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 does it just, that whole last like ten, fifteen minutes of Ebra just really feels like a step down from everything that it came does. Before. No, once they get to the ticking time bomb cliche story. Oh, even plot. just a little bit before that, I think like basically like around like the giant condor scene is kind of when the the movie just kind of just something's off the rest of the movie for me yeah no i i wholeheartedly agree and thankfully this movie doesn't really do that but i think it's also like this film is always like it's a fairly consistent film it's the the pacing of this movie is very consistent yeah 
it's the, but with that but with that there is issues which really start to come out at the end of the film um which I'll talk about once we get to that point in the film but after this moment of the Godzilla Manila stuff we do get kind of an interesting side thing that is the gateway into the final act which is all of the men suddenly have a high fever. Right. Which is some sort of island disease. I guess. <laughs> that Sayako just knows, oh, you got to drink the red water from Godzilla's home. Yeah. Which my guess is the red water just has minerals in it that like. Yeah, something take care like of that. It. Yeah. But to get there, you have to go through. Kamunga Valley. Which, you know, typical plot setup. <laughs> but, I, uh, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, it's fine. It's fine. But no, we, we get to go from here. And, uh, of course, Goromaki and uh, Saiko go off on this journey. Which, during this journey, we see that Goro is a Clutz. Yeah. He knocks some boulders. Twice. Within yeah. two minutes. Yeah. But luckily, Kamonga remains undisturbed. Eventually they arrive at the um you know the Red Lake. And this is where we go to probably the film's most iconic scene. Oh, easily. Easily the most <laughs> iconic scene. Yeah. Either that or the temper tantrum, I'd say. That's, no, that's like this, the only like competitor. This takes the cake. <laughs> and yeah, in the scene, Godzilla tries teaching his son how to be king of the monsters. First teaching him how to roar, and then choke, uh, teaching his atomic breath. And Which, this is also where we get at little uh, abuse. Yeah, he threatens to hit him and then just smashes his tail to get the atomic breath to work. <laughs> But I mean, this is this is both a heartwarming and, and comedic scene, and really funny scene. Yeah, um, and then it has a nice ending when like Godzilla goes to sleep, and then after Manila once again figures out how to do the like full beam, he's like really happy, and then you know tries to go to sleep next to his father. And so after, and at this point, I, I believe Sayako and Goromaki are, they're bystanders. They're watching this happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're waiting for the two to go to sleep so they can take the water. Right. And then they get the water, they bring it back, and everything's fine. And then the next day, I guess, the next day, uh, Sayako is just wandering, collecting plants, and the final Kamakris appears and, you know, tries to eat her. And she calls out to Manila to, to come save her like he's Mothra or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, in the midst of this, Furukawa also has a breakdown again and just shoots <laughs> at the professor. And that's why uh, Psycho goes out because she's looking for herbs. Right, that's right to to help with the was it the wound? Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, after she calls for Manila, Manila comes comes trotting down the the mountain or the hill or whatever, which she's an awful human being. Like, we just need to say that. Like, she's literally calling a child to come help her, even though she knows that the child is no match for this thing. This is why Goro is the only nice person in the movie. Goro's the only person who doesn't commit child abuse or... (laughs) technical kidnapping or espionage the dude's just there to get a story and then forgets the story and becomes everybody's cook and then becomes romantically involved with the new cook (laughs) and he has to be the one to solve the problems like he needs a pay increase or something is he really getting paid, though? No! And we know <laughs> that none of the other people are because they say they volunteered to do it. <laughs> Nobody's getting paid but the professor. This is secretly a story about how the professor is taking advantage of people. Just as how Godzilla takes advantage of his power, the professor and Godzilla are the same person. And everybody else is Manila. <laughs> being abused by the island, which is also represented as the Kamakurai, and they're all just getting abused, and Goromaki is the one Manila who's willing to look at life as a happy thing, and then what, what comes does, to... What does Kamonga represent, then? Yosio Tsuchiya's character, who's an inconvenience all the time. <laughs> And and so, like, they have this whole thing, and Goromaki is just Manila for the humans that, like, is the, the heart, the heart who has to save everybody. And everybody suddenly becomes happy because Goromaki learns how to use satellites and, like, becomes the action hero that they all needed because everybody's a professor who volunteered and is not getting paid for this. Ugh. <laughs> uh. But, and in yeah. theory, the only person who is going to get out of this with a job is Goromaki because he's definitely going to go home, write his adventure, and win the Nobel Prize for best story. I mean, the professor might win a few things if he's not arrested. Oh, no, he's going to get arrested for abandoning his post. <laughs> and then Akihito Hirata's character is going to get arrested for espionage. And everybody else is going to be arrested for knowing too much about international affairs. And then Sayako is going to be like taken in and experimented because she's this person who's been stuck on an island for 30 years and doesn't know a thing about actual humanity. Wait, how come she didn't get affected by the radiation at all, even more so than the scientists? Because she lived in that cave. Mm, I guess. It was established that because of oh, the cave, yeah, they do say that. They she do say she that, wasn't yeah. uh, she wasn't impacted by the uh, radiate radioactive storms and the fact that she knew about the red water. I guarantee you, she's strength enough where she's immune to the high fever that the island has. But her dad's dead. Yeah, but he died a while back, so it's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Seven years is long enough. <laughs> During this little uh, scuffle with the Kamakuras where yeah, Manila just gets absolutely... Uh... <laughs> he gets hit once and, like, falls on the ground and there's that iconic image of Manila just, like, 
staring at the ground, contemplating his life decisions. <laughs> yeah, and then another time where the Kamakras hits him and he just spins around. <laughs> but eventually, during this fight, Manila ends up uh, walking over some boulders and they go down into Kamonga Valley and end up waking up the spider. Which the music for Kamonga and the build-up and the use of the, the cinematography for Kumonga's reveal is great. Mm. Kumonga is the highlight of this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, effects-wise, he absolutely is. Just, like, the puppet is genuinely really impressive. It's... Kumonga is one of two examples of how the Showa era made a puppet look lively. The other would be Ghidorah. Ghidorah in Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster is so lively with its movements. I love it. And, and Kamonga's the exact same way. Right. Nah, Kamonga looks amazing. Like, the Kamakras look pretty good, but, like, the Kamonga is, is, is the effects highlight of the film, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then they even have, like, a giant, like, life-size prop of one of his legs for, like, a couple scenes where when he's chasing the human characters and he tries grabbing at them. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love the giant leg. Like, that, there's a lot of, I, I, I was, when I was watching it, I was wondering this. I was wondering, because there's, there's some shots with, like, giant claws of, of Kamakris and then the giant leg as well. I really wonder how much influence like 50s giant bug movies had on Son of Godzilla because like some of this like you would get in those movies. Um, right. I, I, I really I loved the the effects for the Kamakras and the Kamunga, more specifically Kamunga. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's it's the highlight of the film. Mm-hmm. Like outside of the scenes of Godzilla and like Manila interacting. Kamonga is <laughs> the spectacle of the film. 150%. Now, when Kamonga comes up, that begins the development of the end of the movie. Um, yeah. If I remember correctly, the Kamakris does not get out of this, but Manila does um, from this fight. Um, Kamonga. Well, well, the. First, like the before Kamonga actually rises, but after he's been disturbed, Godzilla comes to save Manila. That's right, and and, and blasts the Kamakras, but it ends up fleeing before it can be killed. Um, and then later on, while Kamonga is just like hunting, I guess, and just hiding, which you know, within the trees, there's a shot Manila of Kamonga in the trees that's amazing. And I'm trying to, I think it's like right before the final fight, there's a shot like this very close up, like claustrophobic shot of Kamonga that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, even before this, there's also a scene of him like, um, just trapping like a human characters in Psycho's cave, which they moved into. <laughs> Right, uh, and there's so. there's even you know before the 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 hunt of or the the yeah the hunt of Kamunga during the whole sequence with Kamakris and Sayako and Manila, uh, Kamunga does end up like trapping 
Gorumaki and Sayako in like this little corner of the cave. And they have to climb out and get away from Kumanga. Yeah. Which this is where we see the use of the one thing that can melt or cut Kumanga's webbing, which is fire. Um, which they learned from uh, the notes of Psycho's father. Right. And then, you know, we get the hunt of Kumanga, where, I mean, we see uh, some of our characters inspecting the towers, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense. Everything is broken for the most part, but yeah, they've, I mean, they even ask, they even ask the professor, like, why are you doing this? And he's just like, I want to stay busy. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually Kumonga attacks and attacks them um, and this, and basically traps them in the cave. And this is where they decide where the professor decides, Hey, we, we need to get out of here. Let's let's try the experiment once more so that not only can we prove the experiment works, but also it can help us. Yeah, we can freeze the island for some reason. That's necessary. Um, which I guess I, I would presume it would be to dispel the monsters, but kind of a unnecessary step, all things considered. Why would you say that? Hmm? I mean, they could just... Oh, I mean, I guess... I guess with Kamonga being there, that is a bit of a problem where freezing him would probably be helpful. But mm-hmm. um, I know it just it just feels weird the way the professor's just like, all right, we let's let's do this, um, just cause it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna liken it to something else. It's like when Sarazawa in King of the Monsters says, "Let's use a nuke to wake Godzilla back up." And they just do it without any, like, they just do it. It's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, That that's what I'm trying to get at, I guess. That's what I'm trying to get at. Which, I was surprised they even had the capabilities of conducting the experiment again without yeah. having a base. Yeah. But the thing they have to do is set up a antenna to help with the radio waves so they have to go through the underwater passage that Sayako uses to get to the, you know, the coast and swim. Goromaki volunteers, Sayako goes. Somehow the antenna's like waterproof. Yeah, I mean they just wrap it in something and it's fine. Which okay, fine. At plot, least they cared enough to wrap it. Plot convenience got a plot convenience. They go out they set it up during this time. Manila shows up and Kumanga starts uh, tangoing with Manila. Mm-hmm. And the Kamakra shows up too, if I remember correctly during all of this. Yeah, but it's swiftly killed by Kumanga. Which now, and the funny thing is they're all fighting on top of the cave. So the cave's like caving in and they're like, we're going to die. Um, so it's a rate it's it's once again a ticking time bomb kind of story where if they don't do this quickly between Manila and Kamanga and the dead Kamakris carcass, the cave will collapse 
and they will all die from the cave falling in on them. And if they can't get the island to freeze, then they're going to be stuck on the island and not make it. Also, during this time, they fixed the radio, and they were told that they're sending a rescue team to come pick them up. So that's why they're like, we're going to, you know, prep for this and, and be ready to help them. Um, and, you know, be ready to get out with them. And Goromaki and Sayako, like, are, you know, getting it all set up and they're getting ready to go. Kumonga's pretty close to killing Manila, pretty much. Um, when Godzilla appears and starts fighting. During this, there's also the whole, they, they're actually getting ready to launch. And they have the radio wave issues um, again, but they disappear. Why we don't. I guess it's because so the radio waves come with Manila crying, and when Godzilla I mean, the showed up, states that I've because uh, Godzilla doesn't show up until they've actually set off the thing, um, or he doesn't wake up. Sorry, until they've actually set off the the experiment. But the professor speculates either Manila's dead, or he just gave up trying to call his father. Which I don't think that either of those are are good. Uh, ex- like reason like neither of those really make that much sense with the context we're given manila just accepted his fate i guess <laughs> he knew his dad was a deadbeat but fortunately godzilla does show up in the nick of time to save the save the little monster and during all of this the weather experiment somehow is successful and everybody's getting ready to leave. Now, they get out very quickly. Yeah. And with that, the entire conclusion just becomes underwhelming because there is no stake now. Yeah, no, the stakes in the final fight are just, are Godzilla and Manila going to survive? <laughs> and it's, I mean, with the fact that, I mean, when you think about it, it feels really obvious they're going to win. Like, A, it's 2v1. B, the spider's probably not going to deal with the cold nearly as well as Godzilla and Manila. And also, it's, it's like, M- Kamunga's one weakness is fire. And Godzilla <laughs> right. uses atomic breath. So, like, everything's stacked up against Kamunga. Right. Yeah. And with none of our human characters being in danger, there is nothing left. Like, the ticking time bomb thing is no longer working, which, I mean, it's nice that they didn't go straight, like, reuse that same plot. But now it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I, what am I, what am I waiting on? I'm just, just waiting for the spectacle. At this point. At this point, and all we're waiting on is just Godzilla to deliver a final blow. And I mean, the fight itself is decently fun, to be fair. Yeah, there's a few shots, like when Kamonga's spraying his web, and Godzilla's using his atomic breath to, like, melt it before it can get to them. Yeah, and then when Kamonga, like, plays dead, and then tries to, like, make himself, like, tower over Godzilla as well. And the eye shot, which that's gotta hurt. 
<laughs> yeah. Which, for anybody who hasn't seen this movie, Godzilla, like, stares at Kamunga's mouth just pulsating, and and Kamunga just injects Godzilla's eye with venom. Yeah. <laughs> which is definitely gonna gonna hurt. Um yeah, but he seems to be fine off like off the ten seconds. So it's Godzilla. Know. Yeah. He doesn't care. And then snow starts falling and, and they're finishing the fights. Um and by this point, like it is literally we're just waiting for it to be over. Um I do think the Kamanga Godzilla fight does go on a little longer than it really should. Um, once the snow starts falling. I don't know. It it honestly wraps up pretty quick. It's like, it's only like a a minute, maybe two, really. Like once the snow is like full, when it's full and snowing. Maybe. But. You just just have TikTok attention span, man. I, 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 it's because (laughs) there's no steak left. (laughs) <laughs> we know what's going to happen. And, you know, what happens is Godzilla and Manila team up. They set Kamunga ablaze, and our human characters stand by and cheer as they're off the island and the island's freezing over. Godzilla tries to leave, but Manila just can't keep up. So the King of the Monsters decides to turn back and hibernate with his son. With the two hugging each other as you know, they freeze in the Which is sad. It's it's a sad ending. Hmm. You know, it's a nice ending. <laughs> and I but I will say I do love the joke because after this we cut back to our human characters. And you know they're well I guess the human characters we go to them before we get the final shot of them together hibernating. Um, and there's this funny joke where like, it looks like another Godzilla is about to show up because the ocean's bubbling and whatnot. And our human characters are like, what's that in the water? And it's a submarine sent by the UN to pick them up. And they're like, why couldn't they have told us it was a submarine? Um, did they say that? Is that in the dub? That's the dub version. Okay. I don't think they say that in the Japanese version. <laughs> um, but after that, we get a, fi- a final wide uh, shot of Godzilla and Manila hibernating. And then we, you know, cut away to a wider shot of, of the island as a whole. And we get the end credits scene. Or not end credits scene, end credits <laughs> title sequence. Yeah, we just get the end. And that was Son of Godzilla. So, when when the film came out, Tanaka was actually surprised how poorly the film did, mm-hmm. um, which led to him making the executive decision that the next Godzilla film would be his last, um, which would you know end up being Destroy All Monsters, which seems like that was always the plan. I mean, but- Destroy All Monsters. It's. I've read somewhere that Destroyer Monsters may have been like some of the one of the early scripts for that was actually in the works around the same time as the scripts for this film, or at least as this film was being in production. Hmm. 
but it did it didn't do well at the box office and i don't think it did that well critically either and that led to destroy all monsters which would lead to godzilla going down a rabbit hole of the 1970s <laughs> now i feel like i've done a lot of complaining yes you have but I will say Son of Godzilla is definitely better than I remember it being. Mm-hmm. It's very quick. It's a, it, The pace never slows down. Oh, yeah. This is a breeze of a film to watch. And it's enough to keep me invested up until the human characters are no longer engaged in the plot, really. See, I'm invested enough in Godzilla and Manila as well that it's that I'm fine with that. I do think it's really, I do think it's odd how quickly the humans are just safe and how uninvolved they are in that. Right. Um, But, you know, even though I know Godzilla and Manila are going to win, like, I don't think for a second Kumonga is going to kill either of them. It's like, yeah, I'm invested enough in those two characters that I you know, I want to see how this how this battle's going to end. Sure, sure. And I I do the kaiju action for the most part I think is pretty in, pretty good in this film. Um I think the Kamakris Manila fights are great, the Kamakris Godzilla fights are great. I love the Kamunga Kamakris fight. That's something unusual to have two antagonistic kaiju fight each other and actually like one gets dispatched from the other. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, seeing like Godzilla and Manila suffer in this movie and like grow is pretty, you know, just pretty in- interesting and and sometimes depressing and whatnot to to see. Mm. But I do also feel like their execution in general is pretty neutered in contrast to Kamakris and Kamunga that definitely steal the show throughout this movie. Um, Manila and Godzilla have the iconic moments, but if you if you want to talk about like good special effects sequences, the scenes that have the best effects in this movie are the Kamakris and Kamunga stuff. Right, but I mean the effects for like Manila and Godzilla are pretty simple since, you know, Godzilla is just... The same as always. Typical, yeah, same as always, suitmation. Manila is a combination of suitmation from... uh, uh, What's his name? Um, Little Little Man 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 Chan. And then, like, a two-shaku puppet. Right. That, depending on the source, is either controlled by wires... Or the theater pamphlet, I think, says something about it being remote-controlled, I think. I'm not quite sure which one's more accurate. It, to me, it looks a bit more like it's a wire. It's a, pu- a puppet controlled by wires, but it is a theater pamphlet saying that, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, rough translation of the theater pamphlet, mind you. Very, very rough, so that could also be why. See, I, I, I think my biggest issue in, in general comes with the human cast. I think the human cast, honestly, is probably, like, the most uninteresting aspect of this. Even our, like, main duo is just there. 
that they're entertaining enough to watch and like where I'm not bored. Right, they hold the narrative together. Yeah, but it's they're not particularly. This isn't really a very memorable cast, I'd say. Right. Honestly, I forgot that uh, Sahara and Harata and Kubo were all in this movie. Mm. See, I remembered. Uh, I remembered Kubo. Sahara, I had no clue. I, I did not remember at all was in this film. Um, the only one I really ones I tended to really remember are Maki. Psycho and to a, to a degree the professor, right? But I think this also just goes to show that by this point they were just kind of I don't know this point in the Godzilla franchise it really started to feel like they were trying they this is the equivalent to what the legendary films are doing now except worse now um, the films are filled with cast that isn't very memorable or interesting to watch they just can carry the the narrative to where it needs to go with a heavy emphasis on the kaiju action trying to get people to go for that mm-hmm. which is i mean kind of- hey so far at least monarch looks to be Actually having interesting characters for once, which is nice. Right. And see, that that goes to my biggest issue with this film, and that is how they cover the topic of controlling the weather. Outside of a few lines, it's not established how awful that would be. And I feel like that is one of the biggest flaws this movie has, is it pulls a King of the Monsters where it doesn't tackle the impact that it has. Um, Which is kind of ironic when you realize that both are climate change related. <laughs> right. And I mean, Son of Godzilla does cover the idea of radioactivity and, and how radiation is bad with the radioactive storm, because that's awful. That like causes the entire problem of the film. Mm-hmm. But they don't talk about it. They move past it to get to the next point. This film is so busy trying to get us to the final climax, it does not stop to look at what it's got. And honestly, I would say this is probably Sekazawa's weakest that we've covered so far because it just doesn't have it doesn't have the weight that it should. Right. This one definitely feels like Sekizawa was phoning it in. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially with that human plot. I, 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 I really like the monster stuff, but it's just like, as you're saying, the human plot just is really, really flawed. Mm-hmm. But it is fun. And that's something yeah. this movie does do well is it is fun. Like the score, it's not very powerful. It's not the most memorable outside of the Manila theme. And I'd say the Kamunga theme, but it is fun. Right. And it fits the tone of the film. Quite it does. Well as well. Like this is, this is a fun self-contained movie. It's, it's 
there's nothing real grand going on. It's just a fun little island adventure. Right. Which, in a way, I like that because it's not it's not trying to tackle as much as Ebira was because Ebira was, like, covering a lot. It was trying to tackle a lot with, like, terrorists. The yeah, it had a lot of things going on, but it doesn't really do much with any of it. Right. <laughs> and even though it has a lot more going on, it feels a lot slower. Despite I wouldn't say a lot slower up until, like, the ending. And it's only 30 seconds longer, really, maybe a minute. Um, but it, it definitely feels a little bit longer. And, I mean, both have the same outcome, but one feels a little quicker to the point. One feels like you had to kind of work to get to that point, which Ebira is, is, that, is in mm. that situation. So with that being said, like, I just, I, I, I will say this. I think Son of Godzilla is a more fun film. I think if you're going for your typical Showa film, this is one of the worst examples. I, I would actually go as far to say as this is the worst example of what a stereotypical Showa film is expected to be, especially from the 60s. But it's not the worst. Oh, God, no. God, no. Not from the 60s. I, I think there's a few films worse than it. Um, and that will that kind of leads into my ranking, which I'm going to hold off on so we can, you know, we can get your final thoughts and then go into the cast and crew and then wrap up on our rankings and and then participate in the most noblest of podcasting traditions. So I'm going to hand this over to you, Rex, now to kind of give your final thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, my final thoughts. I feel like you're a little harsher on this movie than I am. Like, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of issues with the human plot, particularly revolving around um, Professor Kasumi's experiment. But at the end of the day, I do find that this film is really entertaining. Like, at 87 minutes, it is a breeze to watch. You know, the special effects while not quite reaching the heights of like this of like the early to mid 60s in terms of miniatures the puppet work with um Kamakaris and Kumonga are absolutely a highlight and then even when they're not on screen you know just the scenes with between Godzilla and Min and Manila are iconic for it. iconic for good reason you know mhm mm and no, I, I, I really, I, I was really happy to rewatch this film, <laughs> especially by accidental, accidental coincidence. I rewatched this on the anniversary of Manila's naming ceremony, of all things. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed this film, but I've never disliked it either. <laughs> See, I will say this: I started. Like when I when I became a Godzilla fan, this was probably one of my least favorite Godzilla films. I didn't like Manila. See, this, I I didn't when I was younger before I'd actually watched the movie because I didn't watch this until I was like thirteen. I want to say, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, like when I was really like first introduced to the franchise, I 
you know, I was like with everyone else, but like, man, Manila's stupid. Um, this, why, why does Manila exist? But you know, as the years gone on, I've, I'd like to think I've matured to the point where like, nah, I love Manila. <laughs> he, he, he is a, he, he is a, a big part of the, well, maybe not huge part of the Godzilla franchise, but he is like, he's a part of the Godzilla franchise and I like him, you know? <laughs> right. See, it's funny because. I can imagine this franchise without him, you know? It's funny because uh, I I had to, Eric tagged me in that Showa ranking video. And I did, I mean, I just took my list that I made back in 2019. And I, you know, at the time, I think I had rewatched 54 Raids again, King Kong versus Mothra and Astro Monster. So, like, I took those and, like, moved my ranking a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But in that, I was like, I'm not a huge, I hate Manila. I, I don't really want to, like, he's in it. I don't like it, <clears throat> which I'm happy in that in that video um, that is either going to be out by now or is about to be out. I say... If you want my actual like updated thoughts, listen to the show because this is where my fresh thoughts are going to be there where I can say this is what I truly think. Manila mm-hmm. is not a problem in this movie. No, God, no. Manila is not a problem in this movie. Like, honestly, I I don't think Manila is an issue. Um, I like I'm I'm firmly stuck I with the human not liking the design of manila but like honestly i don't care i like it enough <laughs> yeah no i think you and i both can agree that designs are the least of our concern when it comes to first like for like a character's first appearance right and yeah it's it's also like i'm so used to this design i just where it's like I've seen this design like throughout my life to the point where it's like I can't I don't dis I there's no way I can really look at this design and dislike it mm-hmm. um, just because like the nostalgia and all that stuff associated with it mm-hmm. like I can see why others don't like it but like I don't know I like Manila <laughs> see and for me I don't know I I'm kind of indifferent. Like, I don't hate him, I don't love him, but I'm not going to say he's an issue, right? Like, I, I think saying he's an issue is is very much not fair. I mean, I think his, I think his best design is in Final Wars, but, you know. Of course. Final Wars is peak cinema, so it makes sense. But, I, yeah. My my issues with this film come from the, the writing and the characters, the human characters. But I will say... From that show a ranking video to now, it definitely has moved up. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about that, I think it's time to roll the credits. <laughs> Go ahead. The film was directed by Jun Fukuda, who was assistant director on Rodan, director of The Secret of the Talesian, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, Operation Mystery, Kanto 55, The Great Outer Space Adventure, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which he co-wrote, Submersion of Japan, Espy, The War in Space, Monkey, and Writer of Horror. It's Espy, by the way. Espy? Yes. It's literally spelled in katakana. Eh? Eh? 
Supai. Supai. <laughs> but the English t- title is ESPY. E-Spy. Yeah. E-Spy. And wrote Horrors of the Wolf. Now, last time, so if you're listening, you probably have listened to the Eberro episode. Hopefully. And if you haven't, do it right now. And if you if you don't know who Tomiyuki Tanaka is, I'm sorry, but I have a whole page just written of his credits to even mention. He did all the Godzilla movies from 54 to 95. He worked on the Mothra movies up to Rebirth of Mothra 2. And every single Toho sci-fi tokusatsu movie from 1954 to like 1989 he worked on. So, I'm just going to say that and move on. Yes, no need to say it all like last time. Kazue Shiba was the co-writer with Shunichi Sekizawa, who wrote Baron the Unbelievable, Battle in Outer Space, The Secret of the Talesian, Mothra, King Kong vs. Godzilla, The Lost World of Simbad, Atragon, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Dogura, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Invasion of Astro Monster, Episodes of Ultraman, Episodes of Kaiju Busca, the Killing Bottle, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, Aegon, the Atomic Dragon, and he acted as supervisor on that. Episodes of Mighty Jack, Latitude Zero, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla vs. Gigan, and story by credits on Godzilla vs. Megalon and Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Marasu Sato, the composer, worked on Godzilla Raids Again, Half Human, The H-Man, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, Submersion of Japan, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, The Blue Stigma, Akira Kurosawa films such as Yojimbo, Sanjiro, High and Low, Redbeard, I Live in Fear, The Lower Depths, The Hidden Fortress, and The Bad Sleep Well. Sadamasa Arikawa was the director of special effects. He worked on episodes of Ultra Q, Ultraman, Kaiju Busca, and Ultra 7. He also worked on Ebira, Horror of the Deep, Destroyal Monsters, episodes of Mighty Jack and Fight Mighty Jack. Space Amoeba, episodes of Rainbow Man, and uncredited for The Mighty Peking Man and The Phoenix. As for your main cast, you had Tadeo Takashima as Dr. Kusumi, who was in Fearful Attack of the Flying Saucers, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, Atragon, and Frankenstein vs. Baragon. Beverly Madea, who played Sayako Maeda, played Sayako Matsumiya, who didn't have any other credits I could find of mention, but I did want to say that Jun Fukuda reportedly said she was very difficult to work with. You had Akira Kubo as Goromaki, who was in Shiro Honda's Farewell Rabal, The Three Treasures, Gorath, Matango, Invasion of a- the Astro Monster, Destroy All Monsters, Space Amoeba, Gamera Guardian of the Universe, The Great Buddha Arrival, and an a couple of episodes of Ultra Q. Akihito Hirata, who played Fujisaki, was in Ishiro Honda's Farewell Rabal, Godzilla 54, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, Terror of Mechagodzilla, Rodan, the H-Man, The Secret of the Talesian, Baron the Unbelievable, The Three Treasures, Mothra, Gorath, Atragon, Ibira, Horror of the Deep. Latitude Zero, episodes of Ultraman, Rainbow Man, and Fireman. Kenji Sahara, who played Morio, was in Ishiro Honda's Farewell Rabal. Godzilla 54, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Destroy All Monsters, All Monsters Attack, 
Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, Terror of Mechagodzilla, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, Godzilla Final Wars, Rodan, The Mysterians, Gorath, Matango, Atragon, Frankenstein vs. Paragon, The War of the Gargantuas, Space Amoeba, Superior Ultra 8 Brothers, Episodes of Ultra Q, Ultra 7, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman Leo, Ultraman 80, Ultraman Nexus, Ultraman Mebius, Ultraman Max, Mighty Jack, Jumborg Ace, Submersion of Japan, Dei Tetsujin 17, Heisei Ultra 7, and appeared in Ultra Q Monster Legend Jun Manjome's Confession. Yoshio, Yoshio Tsuchiya, who played Fukuwara, was in Godzilla Raids Again, Invasion of Astro Monster. Destroy All Monsters, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, The Mysterians, The Human Vapor, The H-Man, The Secret of the Talesian, Matango, Baron the Unbelievable, Battle in Outer Space, The Bad Sleep Well, Yojimbo, High and Low, and appeared in an early Minoru Kawasaki film, Earth Defense Girl Ichochan, or Ikokan 3, Great Edo Operation. Kenichiro Maruyama, who played Ozawa, was in Gorath. Atragon, Ibira, Horror of the Deep, Destroy All Monsters, Episodes of Ultraman, Ultra 7, Kaiju Busca, and Mighty Jack. Seishiro Kuno, who played Tashiro, was in Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Threaded Monster, Ibira, Horror of the Deep, Destroy All Monsters, The War of the Gargantuas, King Kong Escapes, and Episodes of Ultraman, Ultra 7, Fight Mighty Jack, Iron King, Super Robot Red Baron, Robot Detective, and Zone Fighter. Yasuhiko Saijo, who played Suzuki, was in episodes of Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Heisei Ultraman, Ultraman Max, Kaiju Busca, Frankenstein vs. Baragon, Destroy All Monsters, Latitude Zero, Ultra Q the movie, Ultraman Zerth 2, Ultraman Cosmos the First Contact, Superior 8 Ultra Brothers, and Kaiju Mono. He also appeared on the radio show Ultra Q Club. And with that, that is your main cast and crew. Well, with that all being said, I think we should move on to the ranking. Okay. So, do we want to start at the bottom as we always do? Yeah. Predictably, I think. We've got, I'm sure we both have at number eight, Godzilla Raids again. Correct. Awful movie. Following that... For me, at number seven, I have Ibera, Horror of the Deep. Hmm. Do we differ? For me, at number seven, I have Mothra versus Godzilla. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I think the film's utterly boring. Well, speaking of Mothra versus Godzilla, at number six, I have Mothra versus Godzilla. Well, at my number six, I have Ibera, Horror of the Deep. Oh, so we've got them swapped around. I see, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Well, at number five, do you have Son of Godzilla? I do. Oh, fancy that. Because so do so, I. That's interesting because you said I was more critical, but here we are putting it at the same ranking. Mm-hmm. Seemingly the, the thing we disagree on the most is Abira and Mothra versus Godzilla. <laughs> so at your number four... I got King Kong vs. Godzilla. Likewise, likewise. Invasion of the Astro Monster at number three. Yep. 
And then number two, as much as it pained me last time, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. No, no, it's supposed to be Godzilla 54. <laughs> and then number one is 54. Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. No, you got them mixed up. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to rewatch Ghidorah again. <laughs> so I'm kind of surprised with how our rankings are. Like, we're agreeing a lot more than I thought we would, but there's, like, a handful we're disagreeing with. Yeah, that is how opinions work. Right, but we're, like, (laughs) what we're disagreeing on is within the same, like, area. Like, you and I disagree on one and two, and we're disagreeing on six and seven. Everything else is the same, which is kind of interesting to see. Yeah, (laughs) I, I, I guess you're not wrong there. Well, that tends to happen with a lot of our rankings, I think. Or it's like there's just two we disagree on and everything else we're like, yep, we're good. Yeah. Who knows, maybe uh, with an upcoming themed month, maybe something's different, but... I guess I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But with that being said... you liking Godzilla X-Kong? Or Godzilla Kong, sorry. What, did you suggest you might like it? No, I'm suggesting what if you like it? Oh, there's no way I'm going to like that. <laughs> but imagine. I can't even imagine a world. You know what? That's so true. Like, I can't I, imagine I, one either. I feel like I'm more critical of Adam Wingard and Junkie XL than you are. <laughs> I don't see a world where you would like it. You would hate it more than me. I don't see that happening. It would be funny, though. It'd be funny. I would agree. It would be really funny. But with that being said, I will, I'm I'm curious, I mean, by the next time we record, if we really want to, we could throw Godzilla minus one on this ranking. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So we'll have to figure out if we're going to do that or if we're going to God, not. S- scaring me with the fact that minus one is almost out. Jesus, or almost out in the West. I mean, you and I will get it around the same time. Yeah, Jesus. Doesn't doesn't even feel real. It doesn't. The time has flown by. But I will say this. I will say this. I'm genuinely happy that we've went back and we've rewatched these films because I feel like I've come out liking Ebira in Son of Godzilla a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same. Even though like I already liked Son of Godzilla, but I ended up like just reaffirming my opinion on the film and actually enjoying it more than the first time I saw it a few years back. Right. I mean, if I like going off of our rankings, the way like I I do the rankings and then I kind of say, okay, this is kind of what each tier is, <laughs> because I feel like sometimes rankings come across as really harsh. Hmm. I would say Ghidorah is great. 54 and Astro Monster are good. King Kong versus down to Ebira is okay. Mothra versus is meh. And then Raids Again is actually bad. See, I would say that Raids Again is bad. Ebira to Mothra are alright. And then, like, Son of Godzilla up I enjoy with, like, 54 and Ghidorah being the peak. See, I like 54, but that movie, when I talk, when I think of, like, okay, if you gave me, 
if I had four hours to live and you said I could watch Godzilla movies in that time frame, I would absolutely just watch Ghidorah. I would watch Terror, then I'd watch Ghidorah, then I'd put on Terror and die with Terror. Where's Final Wars? Oh, that's true, Final Wars. Yeah, where's the Final Wars? Where's where's the actual peak cinema? Okay, in all fairness, I think, uh, I don't know. I would just put on Final Wars 2 <laughs> Just twice. have it on loop? Yes. You die as soon as the credits start rolling? Hey, at least I get to die to that amazing end credits theme. Well, I think we know what your Final Wars ranking will end up being. No. <laughs> but no, I, I... Couldn't tell you what it'll be at. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I don't have a clue. I will say I'm curious to see where, because, I mean, if it's not obvious by now, we're covering each Godzilla movie in order. So when we do cover Destroy All Monsters, I'm curious where that's going to end up landing. I saw that at G-Fest last year, but I was really tired, so like I, I don't remember a lot. I don't have the highest opinion on Destroy All Monsters, but we'll see <laughs> what happens. We, we will see. Um, I will say you may expect another Godzilla episode sooner rather than later. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But it's it's been genuinely, like, I'm genuinely happy we've done this where we've, you know, covered these Godzilla films because it's been kind of nice to reevaluate some that I haven't seen in a long time. Right. But with that being said, if you're ready, I'm ready to participate in the most noblest of podcasting traditions. Why, of course. Why didn't you get us started? Alrighty. Well, dear listeners, you can find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram for Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to take a look at some of my writing, go check out the Tokusatsu Network. And as for me, hello, I'm Elijah, and I have a kaiju and tokusatsu problem. Yeah. Joking aside, you can find me on the YouTube channel Monsters with Attitude as I am a part of the Rotating Hosts roster for that. We do monthly live streams talking about kaiju entertainment. You can also head over to Facebook and join our Facebook group. It's a great place full of great people talking about various topics and having daily themes. I'm also a writer. I've written for GodzillaMovies.com and in Kaiju Ramen Magazine. I currently write for Kaiju United, and my most recent article is about Takashi Yamazaki and Godzilla Minus One. And if you want to see my first initial thoughts... You can go to Kaiju United the night of Wednesday, no, this November 29th, where oh, probably would be Thursday morning, where my review will be going live. Or you can just wait for the episode that will be five hours long, where Rex and I talk about everything we've seen in that movie. Oh boy, that'll be a fun one to edit. My writing also has been featured in the book Giant Bug Cinema, a monster kid's guide from Bear Manor Media, where I wrote about Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. I'm also a filmmaker and YouTuber. You can check my stuff out on my YouTube channel, ET13 Productions, where you can see some of my short films, some of my older videos, along with a playlist that features all of my appearances on YouTube. I do plan on getting more stuff out there. I should have a show a ranking video up very soon based off of old rankings and a couple of other things, so definitely check that out. I also appeared in a kaiju movie, a little-known film called Zillafoot from 2021. I made a brief cameo in the film as Skywatcher number 2, also known as Fox. 
It's got the big rating of a 3.7 out of 10 on IMDb. So you know it's peak cinema. If you want to watch it, you can buy the Blu-ray on srscinema.com or the DVD from any major online realtor. Or just watch it for free on Tubi with ads or, you know, if you have Prime, just watch it on Prime. You can also check out my action figure photography on my Instagram at et13 underscore productions and my ex, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Thanks, Danny, at the same handle. But with that, I think we're going to wrap things up here, and I think it's time for the podcast links. Don't forget to write us on iTunes that boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't actually. Hang on, that's a lie. I'm using a MacBook right now. But you can rate us on Spotify now. That's something they'll allow you to do. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handle. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you. You can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually we'll have original artwork on there, but until then you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. It's a great community full of great people. Most recently, there was a discussion in the chat about Ready Player One and Godzilla vs. Mothra, people sharing their love or their hate, either or, uh, on the films. It's a great community full of great people, like I said, wide range of topics. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We sometimes post exclusives to the channel, like bloopers for episodes or minisodes, talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel, and I definitely butchered his name. I'm so sorry. I apologize. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS, or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed not one, but two Godzilla episodes this month, plus the Godzilla Day bonus and a Godzilla minus one episode coming hot and heavy within a week. So thank you guys so much. And as always, please remember. Life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Conversation. To not talk big now, baby. Conversation. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby.
was kaiju, baby. And you will too now.